Welcome to the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. Where we celebrate poetry and the Commonwealth with people from across the Commonwealth. I'm Jazz Brandreth. And I'm Afra Brandreth. We're a father and daughter based in the United Kingdom, but each fortnight we're on an adventure around the Commonwealth, meeting fascinating people, hearing their stories, getting to know 56 amazing and diverse countries and exploring all of them and all of it through poetry. This week, we're finding out all about Lesotho. The kingdom of Lesotho is a small country that sits high above sea level. It is entirely surrounded by South Africa. Most of Lesotho's population lives on lower land to the west, Indeed, with the lowest point being 1,400 metres above sea level, Lesotho has the highest, lowest point of any country, which is where it has gained its nickname, Kingdom of the Sky. The population is around 2.14 million. The area is approximately the same size as Belgium and Europe at around 30,350 square kilometres. The capital city is Maseru. Lesotho joined the Commonwealth in 1966, following independence from Britain. We are delighted to be joined today by Rethabil Masilo. He's an award-winning poet who won the Dalro First Prize in South Africa and the Thomas Pringle Award for Poetry in Periodicals. Rethabil was born in Lesotho in 1961. Twenty years later, he and his family were exiled. Let's find out more about his remarkable story and the poetry of Lesotho. Uh, Welcome to the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. We're delighted to be joined today by a poet whose story begins in Lesotho. Perhaps you could tell us... um, a little bit about what your name is and um, how you how your story began um, a many well a few years ago. In, <laughs> uh, I think you were born in 1961 in Lesotho. Yes, I was. Yes, I was the, the best year to be born. So yes, I was born in 1961. I was born into a family. Um, that was in opposition to uh, whatever was going on in Lesotho, whether it was uh, the presence of the British Empire in Lesotho. My parents were against that. Um, And uh, whether it was uh, the new government that took over after uh, independence, my government, my parents were against that. Um, And so I I was born into that family. And we were given uh, names that reflected the feelings of our parents, as is customary uh, to uh, any family in Lesotho. Um, there were five five kids uh, in our family. And um, so the, the first government to, to take over in Lesotho was um, called the BNP, the Basotho National Party. Um, and it was um, not against the apartheid system in South Africa the party of my parents was against the apartheid system in South Africa. Not that it mattered because South Africa is a different country, but just the ideology uh, to be against that ideology. And um, and so um, uh, the, the, the government that won was helped by South Africa. 
because it was not against the system that they were using against black people in South Africa. And in 1970, five years after um, independence in Lesotho, there was a new election, which the party that my parents belonged to won because uh, the alternative was disastrous. Um, and so um, the incumbent government decided not to relinquish power, but to imprison um, the opposition. Um, so my father was uh, put in prison, as well as other leaders of uh, the BCP, Basutu Land Congress Party. Uh, this was in January of 1970. Um, I was nine years old, as I said, and I remember very distinctly when four or five Land Rovers drove up to my house and they went into my house and uh, when they left, my father was in handcuffs um, and the house was in disarray. They had ransacked uh, the house. As a consequence of all this, you left Lesotho as a refugee in 1981. I think you went first to the USA, but then you moved to France. The real question I want to That's ask right. you is, is all your poetry is obviously informed by... A, I think your father, he's clearly key to it, your admiration for your mother, and this complicated political background, the story of Lesotho, which really yes. is very, if you go back, if you if you begin to look it up and you go back to Pesuto land and you go back over the centuries, it is fiendishly complicated and involves all sorts of European countries. But all oh, yes. this, is the, this is the wellspring of the poetry you now write. Is that the essence of it? That is the essence of it. Um, and I'm going to go very quickly over uh, to lead to 1981, yeah. to what happened in 1981. Please. Um, and, and so uh, we, we were living there with mom. Um, we were living off her corner shop. She wasn't making any profit. And after 18 months, dad was released. He couldn't get a job in Lesotho. So he found a job in South Africa. And uh, for a while, everything was fine until a kind of list uh, started showing up, a kind of death list, mobist, whatever it was called. It was a list of people that the government um, had decided that uh, should be eliminated. Um, so Dad was, uh, I think, number two on that list. And uh, in September the 4th of 1981, uh, they came to our home at 4 a.m. Um, uh, four or five Land Rovers drove up um, and, and, and parked in front. There's a street in front of our house and they parked there. But what they did was they turned their Land Rovers at right angles to the street in order to have their Land Rovers facing um, the yard, the house, and so on. And the idea was to use the headlights, uh, the headlamps, to light the yard because it was like 4 a.m. Um, the neighbors confirmed this. And so what the boys, uh, I mean, we had two different houses, let's say. We had the main house and there was a small hut or rendezvous, as we call it in Southern Africa. It's a hut with thatched mm -hmm. roofing. And that hut was the boys' bedroom. Um, 
And so the boys in that hut could hear dad talking to people and the people asking him to come out and dad refusing to come out and telling them that he was not going to come out because he didn't know who they were and that if they were the cops or or the army that you know he would go to the police station the next day um and then there was um, a lull in this uh, quote unquote conversation but after this small lull um there was gunfire there was machine gunfire uh, directed into the bedroom of our parents um it lasted less than a minute of course um, and then there was the sounds of the front door to the house being broken down and the people who were outside firing going into the house um uh, looking uh, for dad probably uh, and coming out very quickly and leaving and and then in the morning um the neighbor started coming over to 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 see what had happened um and they mom was found under the bed under under the bed that where she slept with her husband with our father um alive but um there was a three old boy his name was mukati he was my nephew uh, he was my sister's son and he never really um slept well unless he was sleeping with his grandparents um so he was still on the bed but he was um um killed he was he was um um broken up um and so but mom was still under the bed um and what had happened was that they, they had been talking to dad these people who had come we we know who they we don't know the identities of the people but we know that they belong to a group that was called koyoko koyoko meaning uh, the the river snake it wasn't it, it was a, a killer squad it was a and so we know that they 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 had done this so when they started shooting through the windows into the parents bedroom he wasn't in it in the bedroom he was with in in the girl's bedroom and he slipped out a window um in his pajamas and fled the country uh that very night there was a funeral for the boy who was 3 years old uh, his mom was really really um um upset is not the word but i remember her her screams during the funeral of her child um but during that funeral we got a message a handwritten message uh, from dad that we should leave the country otherwise he was not able or he would not have been able to um, say anything uh, and uh, my older brother Hotsafalang had already been killed by the government and so mom and i had a discussion about how to get out of the country and so we decided that we were going to get in the car uh, drive to the drive to the to the to the border post um declare officially with our passports that we're crossing into south africa uh, to go shopping which is something that we usually did so that it wouldn't look suspicious um and we never went back this extraordinary traumatic traumatizing 
childhood, this experience with your parents, with your dead nephew, with with the, 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 your dead older brother, inevitably this has informed your poetry. What I want to hear now Immensely. is one of the poems. Can you illustrate this with one of the poems? When did you start writing the poetry as a result of this? And please share with us one of the poems for us to see how that story translate, translates into poetry. I had always uh, tried to write poetry when I was in high school, even before this happened. Um, I was a I was a short story writer in high school, and then um, one of our teachers in high school organized a competition, which I won with one of my short stories. And in front of the class, he claimed, he said, "Voila." He has won. But after the class, after the lesson, he called me to his office and said, where did you copy that from? And I was so disgusted that I stopped writing until the following year when um, he was replaced by a lady teacher who read poetry to us. And she was so generous with poetry that I said, I can do this. And that's where I started really writing poetry. This was like one or two years before the events that I'm relating happened. Um, so that when we left Lesotho as refugees, I had already, um, I had already um, a foot into poetry. And I used it in a way as um, a sort of therapy, as a sort of things, you know, um, to cure myself in a way. The, the, the first poem I would like to read is in fact a poem that I wrote after um, after experiencing my mother's trauma, if if I can use that word, uh, after uh, the death of her lover, our father. And this I call this poem. My mother says she sees him. She said. I see him outside in that area beyond the house. It must have been the yellow in her eyes. She has had time since he left to scrub them into clear marbles and allow salt water to rinse them. But the yellow has stayed like rust on an abandoned freshwater pipe. When we were young, she would see into our childish dreams with them in the unforgiving dark. He stands there, bent at the waist, refusing to crack or to break. And she describes his teeth, clenched like a beast holds in its jaws a wriggling body by the thew in the dim light beside the door. She sees this with her marbles. They couldn't break him when they hauled him off in cuffs after searching our house and bringing years of its ceilings down. They wouldn't break him later when they refused us the body of his son they had killed. He holds the rife murder of his son in the mouth between his teeth. 
After the storm, he came back, added muscle to his limbs, arms, legs, to the tree trunk of his neck. Nothing cold-hearted or immoderate, but an annual ring each year added to his bowl. As he grew roots, deep as an icicle that finally enters earth with each new drop of blood that creeps down the path of life. That's how, when his frozen months arrived, he dug in. It made him live, made him get back to hoeing his country of youth, a plot of Kwading where people like sequoia trees tower over the roof of a forest and care for its soul. And that is what my mother said. Well, talk about powerful poetry. And given the context that you explained to us first, truly powerful poetry. I'm not surprised you've won all these prizes. Congratulations. Thank we've, you. We've got, we've got time for just one more poem. It can either be in the same vein, or if there's poetry, because it's now all these years since you left, 30 years, Maybe right. your time in France has, has influenced you to write poetry of a different kind. Give us just one of your favourites, so that people who don't know your work yet will be going right. out there and things, oh, we must get your book, we must get things that are silent, we must get, you know, letter right. to country. We want to get all his books. So what 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 would you what are you going to leave us with? One 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 of the things that really marked me uh and 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 uh I, I, I'm not going to say changed my life, but influenced uh, the way I write poetry. There are two things, really. The, the death of my brother, who, with whom I was very close. Um, and then there was the death of my nephew, uh, who was three years old. And I, I was very close to him. I would leave the university in Lesotho to go home um, with a basket full of uh, uh, crisps and, and whatever he liked, guava juice and and stuff. So th those two people really influenced me. And if I would, if I had one poem to read, um, I, I, I'd read a poem um, uh, called "The Boy Who Would Die." Um, and so the, the the boy who would die. Um, our house in Lesotho. In fact, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I, I need to explain that we we lived uh, at the bottom of a hill. And our house was at this bottom of a hill. And when the family was attacked and my father got out of the kitchen window, he crept up the hill to the top of the hill, to a village on the top of that hill uh, where he got helped. Uh, they disguised him. They, they you know, they, they gave him new clothes and, and so on. Um, so our house was really uh, uh, the bottom step of this climbing up to the, the top of, of that hill. Uh, and this poem is called The Boy Who Would Die. The bedroom was a shallow grave. Perhaps the opinion of the man who came or of the wardrobe in that room in which a woman hid. In any case, there was a burial in that room. Decked in bright pyjamas, he slept as bullets hunted for his body, entered the linoleum under the bed. Men he did not know, 
in a house on a hill like a staircase. From the grave, you climbed to the sitting room whose cyclops window looked at the world. The reason perhaps for such an act for which there was no wake. Then further up to the tin stove kitchen that stood above the rest in which in winter we sang around a pot on the stove. If not for the outhouse some meters into the hill, the kitchen was the highest place of the house, the closest thing to heaven we had. No dog dared bark that night. We lived on that hill and it lived in us. Um, we, we sang around the pot on the stove, if not for the outhouse some meters into the hill, the kitchen was the highest place of the house, the closest thing to heaven we had. No dog dared bark that night. We lived on that hill and it lived in us, in rocks carved out of boulders and chiseled into bricks by able hands of noble men. He died at the edge of his dream, a potted plant on a winter sill, aged three died for us and from then on all poems would end thus and the poem is for my nephew Mclatsi Masilo who, who was three years old and it's called the boy who would die and I apologize for the emotion um, there's no apology for the emotion we feel the emotion we feel that we're on the hill too it clearly it springs from a history that is very complicated and a trauma that is very personal. And yet the way you express it in the poem, actually you're sharing this trauma with us and making us live this alarming story, but feel that we are there with you. And we can picture this boy who is three and who died and who, thanks to you, in a sense, his story lives through this remarkable poem that you've written. So... Of course, you're moved and we are moved too. Thank you so much. We've really enjoyed meeting you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very grateful for this invitation. That's it for this podcast. Our thanks to Rethabil Masilo, who chose to read two of his own poems, My Mother Says She Sees Him and The Boy Who Would Die. Join us next time when we'll be in another Commonwealth country with more poetry from the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth Poetry Podcast is presented by Giles Brandreth and Afra Brandreth and produced by the University of Chester. Our special thanks to them and to the Royal Commonwealth Society. And to you, of course, for listening. <laughs>